Snap to Rivers. Patriots come hard. He looks. He fires to the right. It is picked off at the 40. Vincent Wilfork at the 50, at the 45, at the 40. Stay on his feet all the way down to the 30-yard line. Vincent Wilfork. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Entitled Weekend. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 75 Day here on Entitled Weekend. We have uh, Bill and Rob along with me. And, guys, uh, before we get to all of that, uh, we have to talk about the reaction to this week's game uh, against the Steelers. And, as usual, it was shot down as not really a win because, well, first of all, it was a close game. And, secondly, it was ugly. And, therefore, you know, ugly wins mean they were either lucky or the team didn't deserve to win because, well, Matt Jones is crappy, and we'll get to that later on. But um, what did you guys think of the reaction first, Bill, to this week's game, which, by the way, was a win, you know, and a win, you know, is more than half the teams in the NFL can say that they have right now. Right. I mean, people lamented that loss to Miami in week one as if it was a season ender. And then you look at the NFL landscape after week two, and there's like, is it three, four teams that are 2-0? It's, there's, it's really a, a league of parity. Um, and people are sort of failing to understand that's what's happening in the post-Brady Patriots era, is that parity exists. It's what the NFL wanted for a long time. And the Patriots and... Brady and Belichick and that, you know, sort of holy trinity of right owner, right coach, right player at the right time held it off as long as they could. Parity is here. And so we're going to, I don't think we're going to see juggernaut teams in part because of injuries. And, you know, I think Bills, you know, the Bills losing um, the safety. Is, it's po- is it Poyer they lost? Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde, thank you. I, I knew it was, but losing one of their two core safeties for the season, you know, this early is a prime example of why you can never believe September favorites are going to be destined to win. Um, you know, the Patriots were the September favorite several times, and I can't remember a, an instance where they was the September favorite coming out and won the title. Um, but doubling back to the Steelers game, that's going to be how they win some games early in the season. They're going to punch people in the face. Uh, I think you look at what Miami did to Baltimore's defense in the second half of that game, and you start to look at where could there be some truth to what's been happening in the first month with the Patriots. Because like I said, several times on Twitter, several times on this pod, we're not going to know who this team is for the first four or five weeks. But where are some truths that we can start talking about? The offense not so much truth there yet because week one, we had a rough offensive line situation week two, Mac Jones coming off a back injury, Mac Jones coming off an illness and missing practice didn't look sharp. That's not a surprise for somebody who was exceptionally limited in the early week part of the week when you're installing the game plan and they're your signal caller. 
the defense is where I start to see more trends happening, where it's the, the defensive line can get after it and stop the run. The, the corners are playing their ass off. The safeties are nimble. The safeties are able to come down and play in the box, be linebackers. Jabril Pepper's doing that. Even with injuries to Phillips and Duggar, that safety unit has been swarming. So seeing that consistency build up, it's starting to build a trend for me. I would love to see that against a test like the Ravens on Sunday. I, I think that's a really good measuring stick for this defense because it's something, you know, the best running QB in the game, Lamar Jackson, and some interesting offensive weapons there. And that's going to be a challenging team to scheme against. If So I, I think the big takeaway for me is you love chalking up W's in September. They mean as much as uh, in terms of the record as a W in January. So you want to get some of them. but the big takeaway for me is that the defense, you're, I, I think the first two weeks have shown us more about the defense than they have about the offense. And I'm really hoping that we start to see some offensive consistency coming in along the next couple of weeks. That fourth quarter drive really starting to point towards what they can be um, burning that last six and a half minutes. But um, Rob, I'll kick it to you since I've been you know, rambling on for probably four minutes now. Well, before, before Rob, I, I, I get to you, Rob. Um, it's 75 day and there's going to be a lot of talk on this pod about the trenches. And I, I want you to talk about the offensive line who last week we talked that was we talked about it was wasn't up to par. But this past week, it was the star, I would say, of the game. And in particular, Cole Strange, who by all intents and purposes, you know, even though it's two games, was markedly uh, uh, better than I would say all the rest of the other players on the offensive line. And it was noticed by uh, analysts like Brian Baldinger and, you know, even uh, (laughs) the dreaded PFF, you know, for the weird grades they gave um, has been really the, at least not stat wise, but at least their analysts have given him credit. Uh, The offensive line as a whole has, was markedly improved in this game. So I think that's going to be uh, what's going to have Matt Jones improve is as long as the offensive line goes. And I I think that's a big part of what was uh, missing from the first week. Yeah, the offensive line was, in my opinion, absolutely spectacular. Um, They were just pushing them all over the field all day long. And uh, I mean, to me, when I watched that game, it, just reeked of the old school classic 2001 sort of Patriots win. The type that, you know, after the game, Belichick's probably knocking things over in his office with his erection. That's the type of game that was where it's one of those sort of, you know, all three phases, as he likes to say, wins where, you know, they run the ball, they just grind the teams down physically and just basically rip their hearts out. They, you know, just kind of go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and then just wait for you to step on your dick, which is what Gunnar Olszewski did, you know? And then once you do, they pounce, you know, literally and figuratively, you know, Schooler pounced on the fumble and then the Patriots turn that short field around and three plays later, they jam it in the end zone for what essentially is the game winning touchdown. But then grinding, I mean, they ground them down for the last six minutes. And what I really loved about that was all spring and summer long, what we've been hearing from the the immediate tent is, oh, they're trying to install this zone run thing and it's not working and they need to, you know, flush it. 
they can't run this way. They can't do this. This is never going to work. And when you watch sort of the end of that game, it those last six plays, it was those three old school Patriot runs followed by three straight zone runs. And that you could almost see it was similar to like, you know, the whole fastball changeup philosophy in baseball where they don't quite know what's coming. And if they guess wrong, you're going to gash them. And and then it kind of even, you know, when I'm watching it, I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's what they're going to do with this. You know, they're going to they're going to re- get six or eight yards running at old school, pounding at power, power, power. And then when you adjust and try and defend power, then they're going to come back at you with the zone stuff and, you know, strange poles and on way new poles. And all of a sudden you got on way new and strange out there blocking safeties, you know, and then that turns into a 15 yard run. And then Damian Harris slides in bounds and keeps the clock running. Just those old school smart. We're just going to be smarter than you and just grind you down and wait you out. And eventually you're going to step on your dick and we're going to pounce on you and we're going to beat you. And I think those are the types of games and those are the types of teams that Bill Belichick loves. And I I think you could just see on his face when the game was over, like he's just thinking to himself, you know, the offense is just going to get better. I think, I think the line's going to get better. I think they're going to pass protect a lot better. And to, uh, to Bill's point, you know, about kind of just taking a, a peek around the league. There was a number of teams that were just automatically penciled in as playoff teams ahead of the Patriots. You know, like, this is why the Patriots are not going to make the playoffs this year. This is why the Patriots should be tanking for draft picks, because teams like Tennessee, Las Vegas, Indianapolis, they're playoff teams already, right? Well, you know what? Maybe they're not, you know? They don't look that great to me. Tennessee looks like they're in big trouble. The The Raiders are 0-2. Uh, Indy, I mean, are you kidding me? They just got shut out. Imagine if the Patriots were what the Colts are right now. I think that's what the media was really hoping the Patriots would be, is what the Colts had turned out to be. So I think the AFC is wide open, and I think the Patriots' ceiling and what they're capable of and what they're going to accomplish is all right out ahead of them. And I think it's going to be fantastic. And if they can somehow pull out a win this weekend, I don't know where the media goes from there. I really don't. Yeah, Bill said something similar in our chat uh, a couple of days ago about if the Patriots go two and one by beating the Ravens, and then the following week we want to get ahead of, ahead of ourselves, of course. But if they go to Green Bay, and I would say Green Bay looks as vulnerable. I think they think they've looked over the last five years, even with Aaron Rodgers, and it, it, I think that. The entire like, there's going to be cleanup on well on aisle five for all of us, but there's going to be cleanups in the form of receipts for a lot of these media people who've been really hard up on the fact that you know Matt Patricia and the play calling and Matt Jones and uh, speaking of Matt Jones, uh, Rob, I'm basically you've become a producer of this pod because you've found all our clips and this clip that you found of Devin McCourty just slapping uh, Tom Curran, Tom E. Curran silly um, regarding of the, has Mac regressed or is Mac the the guy or, you know, just ask me a question. But uh, this is when Devin McCourty, try, uh, sorry, Tom Curran tries to bring Devin McCourty into the discussion and immediately begins to regret it. Yeah, I had a question about um, Matt Jones. Uh, in your second year, 
you went from being second team all pro, all the accolades, and then it was a difficult year for you. I'm not saying that he's having a difficult year, but the screw. Yeah, I don't know where you're going with this one. Yeah, the screw <laughs> quarterback is constant, and everybody's constantly weighing in on the progress. Do you look at, and it's too bad he's in, do you look at his progress? Sometimes it might be. I'll be more, honest, even though he's in. Sometimes it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah, I mean. I would say first and foremost, overall, there's not many people who watch football who understand how to play quarterback. I think, like, no matter what, you know, including you. Um, so he would be crazy if he built his career off what people write and say about him because it's just – it's not – I mean, for one, there's not many people who have played a position at a high level and can do that consistently. So um, I think no matter what in this league, you come out – you play as a rookie, you have success as a rookie, you go out there and you do good things. It sucks to say, but everyone's waiting to write bad things about you. There's, there's, that's just how, you know, everything works. But I think he knows that in this building, every guy in that locker room believes in him. Everybody in that locker room sees him as, you know, not just our quarterback, but a captain of this team, a leader of this team. Um, and it's been fun. Listen, I'm the old guy watching not just him, but a lot of these guys come in, um, as young rookies have a, whether it's a role or start, guys like Kyle Duggar, same thing, coming here as a rookie um, and now progressing. You know, it's been it's been a joy, and I think no matter what, we all come in here with the same, same mindset. How can we go out there on Sunday and win a football game? And that's been the, the Patriot way since I got here. No game is going to be exactly the same. It's not always going to be 30 points on offense and, you know, defense holding them to 10 points. Like, I don't know how we're going to win, but I know as a team, that's something we got to figure out. And, you know, between him and Dave and me, Bentley and Wise on defense, we have to do that each week. We have to be the guys, the leaders on our sides of the ball to get guys seen at each week, uh, no matter how hard it is, no matter if we're in the middle of the game and it's not going well for three quarters, we got to let those guys know it's going to go well in the fourth quarter and we'll find a way to win. And he's been building that along with everybody else on this team and look forward to continuing to try to progress this season. I mean, God bless McCourty, number one, but it's the including you for me. <laughs> it's including you that gives me that gives me all the life in the world. I listen that that checked a lot of my Christmas list off. Um, I, I the only thing that leaves me from needing to go change my pants is that he didn't like follow up with a comment about all the negative stories about Barmore coming out of the draft. Um, if he had mentioned Barmore, he mentioned Duggar. He got you know he was in that realm. If he had just used the name Barmore, I like completely would need to be you know an ensemble change for me right now because there there would be no cleaning the mess I had made. Uh, but what it's it's exactly he's it's, he's exactly right, and it's everything that pods like this and the mothership talk about on a routine basis. The media waits to write negative stories because they just don't get the same cloud attention, what have you, in this market being positive, and they can't out positive the fan led podcasts. They can't out positive Mike Reese. They can't out, you know, journalism Mike Reese either. He, you know, he journalistically runs laps around them. Um, and, you know, I thought somebody might try to step in and fill the void left by Jeff Howe when he went national because he was another guy that could run circles around them with integrity. And nobody has because nobody can. And we've just built this 
awful media cycle here. And it, 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 it makes it, you know, it's like the intro to the mothership. It makes the best sports town lousy. And so it, it, I love that they're getting called out on it. I think it's been happening more of late from players. Um, you know, I, I would also hope that that continues to happen um, because I'm a little, I'm more than a little disgusted with some of their former teammates jumping onto the negativity train recently um, as well. So uh, I, I, I just think it's criminal what the, what the media does to some of the young athletes and not just in Boston, but Boston has a hyper focus on it. And, it, the the market has really trended that way. I mean, I think what I heard when I first heard that clip, when I was listening to it live when McCordy did his press conference, and the first thing that jumped into my head was, and to kind of piggyback off the Vince Wilfork day that we're having, what a leader, you know? That is the voice of a, of a team leader with, and the best part about that, Mac Jones' press conference was starting right after his, and Mac was standing right there. He was standing five feet away from him in the doorway, waiting to come on and start taking questions of his own. And McCordy, you could just tell. I mean, Curran started that shit on Monday. He started with the, is Mac really the guy? Are we sure Mac's the guy? And you could just tell McCordy had enough. You know, he'd had enough of the bullshit. He'd had enough of having to, you know, have his quarterback, who I'm sure could care less. You know, then Mac stood up there. Basically, they were asking him, you know, well, you only threw for this number of yards and you've only thrown for the, and he's basically shut that down. He's like, I don't care about the stats. I care about wins. We won the game. That's all I care about. You know, end of the end of story. And what really drives me bananas is Curran is considered nationally to be this voice of the Patriots. He's considered, you know, he, he's treated with this, you know, level of respect that he used to earn, that he used to be good with, you know. And so when he starts spouting things off like, well, maybe Mac's not the guy, it gets picked up by all of these national guys who don't watch the games. They don't watch the games. What they do is they listen to people like Curran, they pretend they watch the game, and they figure, oh, well, Tom Curran knows what he's talking about, so we'll just, you know. And what really gets me is it's not just the Barstool morons, those pardon my take idiots who did a, a segment, a long segment about, is Mac Jones really the guy? But... What really, you know, I found disappointing was Mike Lombardi on his podcast, who I actually usually like. Um, he had, and it was just one thing that he said, but it drove me bananas. He said on his podcast this week, Mac Jones is going to get his ass benched if he keeps throwing interceptions. And I'm sitting, and I actually had to rewind that. And I'm like, did he really just say that? I'm like, the guy's thrown two picks all year. One of them was a blown pass interference call, you know? So, and the other one, you know, it's a it's clear if you watch the games, they're making a more concerted effort to throw the ball down the field more. Which, by the way, was the biggest gripe the media's had with him last year was oh he all he does is check the ball down. All he does is check the ball down. Now he's making a concerted effort to throw the ball up to guys like Devontae Parker, guys like Nelson Aguilar, down the field, these 50-50 balls, which by the way, they scored a touchdown on last week, you know, and it, instead it's just become this you know, this Mac is reckless is what the, the narrative is like turning into. And it's just, it's ridiculous, you know? And I mean, thank God for Mike Reese. Thank God for Matt Chatham. You know, the only two people in the market who just aren't complete frauds. And I really wish the national guys would use Reese more. I really do. Instead of listening to Curran, listen to Mike Reese, because Mike Reese is going to tell you if there's something wrong. You know, if something doesn't look right, he's not just a, you know, he's not like, like me, you know, <laughs> like he's, He's actually going to be objective, but he's not going to make shit up just to get his name out there, just to get clicks. And, you know, God bless Devin McCourty. 
that was absolutely spectacular. And I could listen to that on a loop for the rest of my life and be perfectly happy. Shaq, um, McCordy was uh, the McCordy's when they were doing their their media stuff were on a show with correct, Con, correct, right. quick slants. Yeah, that's what I thought. So for for you know, uh, there's a possibility that a little bit of that could be sort of tongue in cheek picking at somebody that he knows, but he's not going to say something untrue to do so. And so, you know, it might have given him an opportunity to be a little bit more direct because he knew he could pick it, Karin. So I don't want to be like, you know, oh, my God, look at him go after the media. He's going to go after everybody like that. But it's one of two things. It's either that, you know, able to go a little bit deeper because he has a relationship with him or it's he's that disappointed in somebody he has a relationship with that he had to say something like that. And I'm not sure which it is. So Shaq, I'm curious on your thoughts on that because I, it just sort of popped in my head as I was thinking through it all. You know what I think really is gave him that to say that is because I think he's earned himself enough clout on the team. And, you know, he's been a captain. He's been on this team for more than a decade. I think he has enough clout to be the one to, to say, I'm going to, whether it's whether it's one of those two reasons you mentioned, Bill, I think he has enough clout on the team to be that way. Because Matt Jones can't say that about about to to Tommy Curran. He can't do that. You know, none of these rookies can do it. So you know, and Matthew Slater, another guy who's been on the team for a while, he's not that type of a guy. So I think McCordy has, you know, he has his own podcast with with uh with Jason, his brother. So I think, you know, he's in the media, quote unquote, but he also has enough clout that he can do that. So um, I think it's all encompassing. I think he, you know, it it's everything and it's either one of those things. So, you know, but I still I still like it, whether whether or not he did it for that reason or the other reason. I'm still glad that he did it. And you know what? I wish more of these guys would come to the media and do that if they feel that their their guy is being disrespected, because. He is, and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, it's not just us, you know, rose-colored glasses fans that aren't, that are noticing it, because at the very least, you can tell that these guys see it, because he, if, if he didn't see it, and if, if he didn't notice it, then he wouldn't have done it, so there's, you, you can tell that these guys know what's being said, and I think it's great. Yeah, so um, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And speaking of, of former players, Bill, you mentioned of former Patriots that are you know just going absolutely nuts. So um, we don't have to talk about the CTE Maven Ted Johnson. We don't have to talk about um, you know even Rob Ninkovich, which I'm kind of shocked that you know has been starting to veer off to the left as far as his uh, uh, Patriotdom is concerned. But I want to talk about former players, period. You know, even former guys who have not even reached any type of mountaintop to, to say anything. But ESPN and all these other media outlets have decided, hey, you know, he's a pro. Let's give him let's give him a uh, let's give him a co-hosting job. Uh, Matt Hasselback, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the guy we're, we're going to take the ball. and We're going to score. You know, that guy. Um is talking about the Patriots and 
you know, of course, bald-headed Andrew Callahan couldn't wait to post this quote up for his AFC East-loving uh, fans. You know, not the, he, he, his job is to report for Patriots fans, but he reports for everyone else. Um, he's talking about Patriots offensive coaches saying, quote, you did this to yourself, Patriots coaching staff. You did this to yourself. And he, I guess he's repeating himself because he's angry. Whatever. So stop trying to prove how smart you are. Simplify. This guy played. He was the best rookie quarterback in the NFL last year, I guess referring to Mac Jones, because he had training wheels on most of the time, and he did a lot. He played really well. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to prove how much you know. Make it simpler. So where does he get where does he get that from? Where does he get that the where has any coach said I I know better than these guys? Like wh- wh- where is that logic from? I have no idea and in part because much of the work done in the offseason was to simplify but it wasn't for Mac. People talk about this simplification thing. It wasn't for the quarterback. He was a pro bowler last year. It was for the receivers to be able to run faster, to be able to make decisions quicker. It was processing speed to allow the team as a whole to play faster. Mac has a quick release. Mac understands the offense. There's nothing he's doing there that is requiring simplification for Mac's sake. And none of the mistakes we've seen early on um, have been, you know, Mac needing to have played faster and anything simplified. He threw a god-awful pass right to a stealer in the second half there. We all saw that. Like, let's not pretend that didn't happen. But that was a mistake in decision-making, not caused by processing speed. He was rolling out. He had not, you know, been at some practices that week. He had been, you know, limited in practice time. We know this. So it's not about simplification for Mac's sake. And they're taking this whole like simplify simplification thing that happened in, in the off season and molding it into the take that Mac needed, needs things dumbed down for him. Mac needs everything to be really simple because Mac doesn't get the high end stuff, you know, and, and that's, that's all. And I'm going to 10 seconds on Rob Ninkovich tied to this. Oh, if you're going to spend $50 million on tight ends, you know, if I spent $50 million on a house, I'd want to live in it. Yeah, but you know what else you need to do if you're going to live in that house? Sure, you're going to you're going to want to cook and flush your toilets and wash your hands and, you know, have the heat on. You got to make sure that the actual fucking foundation stands. So you know what tight ends do? They're like the exposed beams in a house. They are both a feature that can help add to the value of the home and they are integral to holding the structure together. And last week they use them more to hold the structure together. Can they be doing more? Sure. That's going to come with time throughout the year. But they are not simply an aesthetic or a perk within the home. They are not the, the weapons of home building. They are foundational to protecting the house. What I asked Andrew Callahan, and he, of course he never responded, was, you know, you're going to go to Matt Hasselback, a guy who's sitting in the studio in Bristol, Connecticut, as we've already said, probably didn't even watch the game, right? Or he could go to Steelers linebacker Malik Reed, who was on the field with Mac Jones, playing, against, on the field. Mac, <laughs> playing against Mac Jones, and had this to say. Uh, the, the quote was, uh, Malik Reed credited Mac Jones for checking out of various plays at the line of scrimmage. Quote, 
he was seeing what we were in. He's pretty smart. Once they had a feel for our adjustments, they were able to counteract those things. That's an actual Steeler defender who was trying to defend Mac Jones, basically saying, yeah, he figured us out pretty quickly. And, you know, to, to Bill's point, you know, why are they just because they spent all the money on tight ends doesn't mean every single week that they have to have, you know, 30 catches and 250 yards between them. They were playing against Mitch Trubisky on Sunday, which Bill Belichick probably knew going into the game. As long as they didn't do anything stupid, as long as they didn't turn the ball over deep in their territory or, you know, or give him a short field of some kind, as long as worst case scenario, they were punting the ball down the field and making Mitch, Mitch Trubisky make 10, 12, 13, 14 play drives down the field to score, they were probably going to be okay. So they didn't really need to unleash tight ends. They didn't really need to go, you know, shotgun four wide and just start throwing the ball all over the field. What they needed to do was control the game, which is exactly what they did, which is why, you know, everybody said, oh, well, little Jordan Humphrey, you know, had more snaps than Kendrick Bourne. He was blocking. <laughs> he was a blocking tight end. That's what he was on the field for. And he was blocking in the running game, which is what he's there for. It, it's just it's absurd that all of these people have been watching the Bill Belichick led New England Patriots for 21 years. We've seen this before. We've seen this movie before when they're playing an inferior quarterback or a guy who they don't believe can drive down the field and score. They're going to be a lot more, you know, tight and buttoned down. They're not going to go nuts, you know. But then again, when they're playing Peyton Manning in Indianapolis and they realize their defense is probably not going to stop him, then they're going to go for fourth and two on their own third. It's a, it's a game plan thing. It's every single game is different. Every single game requires a different, you know, game plan, a different, you know, strategy, a different game. You know, you have to get control of the game, that sort of thing. That's what they were doing. And for Rob Ninkovich to pretend that that's not what they were doing, it's just, it's just disingenuous. I mean, if anyone on earth knows that, it's Ninkovich. You know, it's all these guys who used to play there. You know, they, they've been through it. They've seen it a million times. You know, Rob, what I hate the absolute most about uh, these beat writers and the way they handle things is they present. They, they we ask them to present a fact, right? Don't 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 present fact. Don't just have your opinion out there. Present a fact. But the thing is, they want it both ways. So now they present a fact, and then they have your their opinion with it. Why can't they just do like Mike Reese and just present the fact and let us? Let us make the decisions. You know, I, I'm not trying to sound like, oh, it's a Fox News thing, uh, fair balance. But just let us make, you know, you you report, we decide. So just, but they have to say, oh, well, Mac, uh, like Andrew Callahan did on the other day. He said, oh, God, Andrew Callahan, he pisses me the fuck off, I swear to God. Um, he said something about the Patriots' offensive line. Uh, had uh, 18 of 29, you know, some crazy stat. And he says, well, it's better or it's basically better than their summer. <laughs> yeah, the preseason, is that what you're talking about? The preseason where no games count and when they're trying to install, they actually install the playbook? <laughs> Jesus it's, Christ. It's this immediate rush to a conclusion that they have to have, you know, rather than just let things play out, let things materialize, you know, Let's see how it looks. It's not going to be perfect in the spring. It's not going to be perfect in training camp. You know, the, the Patriots were installing new things on offense all summer long. Installing means everybody's getting up to speed on it. Everybody's kind of figuring it out. 
But the fact that it didn't look absolutely mid-season form, buttoned down perfect in OTAs, you know, the media just said, okay, well, I guess that, that's it. I guess we, we've got our answer. You know, this isn't going to work. And then that leads to what? That leads to Belichick's lost it. You know, his arrogance has done the team in. You know, these are the narratives we start to hear. You know, Patricia and Judge, you know, another example of nepotism. You know, it's like they, they take these immediate rushes rather than let this stuff play out and let's wait and see. And now we're starting to see a little bit of, oh, okay, this is what they were working towards. Rather than wait and see and just report, you know what? It, it doesn't look that great now, but let's see how it looks in a couple of weeks. You know, let's see how it looks, you know, as we move along. Instead, it's, okay, that's it. It's done. It's over. You know, uh, go back and look at Josh Allen's first two years in the NFL. They weren't pretty. You know, they weren't pretty at all. And, it, it, you know, it, and instead of, you know, the Buffalo media, I, I'm pretty sure, actually, I think I saw a Volan tweet <laughs> that somebody dug up about Volan kind of throwing dirt on Josh Allen after his second year. It, things don't happen overnight, especially in the NFL. These are complicated schemes that they're installing here. They don't just work, you know. They, they don't just draw it up on the chalkboard, go out on the field, and, hey, look how great this looks. It doesn't work that way, you know. It, it's just this rush to, you know, it has to be done right now, over. And, and these, these sweeping declarations that they make based off of that are such nonsense. But the fans, you know, the, with a Z, the ones that we see on Twitter all the time, they just eat this shit up. You know, that's what gets me. It's like, you know, try doing some thinking on your own. It's just mind boggling. And, and Bill, I was, we were talking, Andrew Callahan, who pisses me off. I found another one of his tweets that just pisses me off. Uh, the Patriots only missed three tackles yesterday and put a lid on all of the Steelers deep passes, which were mostly early down play action shots and deep overs on third down. The only explosive pass play allowed was George Pickens' 23-yarder before halftime. Impressive for week two. It's, so it's, it's, it's fact and an insult. <laughs> it's a fact insult. I, are, are they supposed to play week 14 right now? Like, it, that, like that's a, they, they can't play anything but week two, week two. Like, this is where, like, this is the semantics that Belichick gets into and why it drives them up a tree. Because they 100% pull this all the time where it's, oh, what do you see? You know, how impressive has this person been early in the season? They've done what they needed to do. Because what they're looking for is some quote they can use against Belichick in week 10 if the person struggles. Or, you know, write a story about, like, how an early season struggle that Belichick commented on is now egg on his face because the person has excelled since. They're, like, it's all gotcha. It's all gotcha. It's, you know, I, I don't give Zolak credit for damn near anything. There's a reason Zolak gets the Bellistrator thing on on the Pat's show there, on you know, Pat's pregame or whatever they call it. Um, he gets that because he's not going to try to get you with Belichick. He'll have his dumbass takes, but he doesn't try to, like, gotcha Belichick because he realizes he's not as smart as him. Um, and then there's a reason that people like Reese and Howe and others get more verbose answers to questions about this year and this season, as opposed to others who really should focus on asking like scheme questions or legacy player questions or, you know, things around the league happening that Belichick has routinely gone into verbose detail on. It's just absolute hogwash that we can't have a good performance without four week two 
you know, oh, we'll see where this develops. We all know that's where it developed. I've been the king of let's see where things are at the end of September. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I should go down to the you know, spirit of Halloween on every corner and buy a crown and adorn myself with it at this point. But we, that doesn't mean that we can't talk about good individual performances. Damian Harris, with a lot of talk about Ramondre Stevenson taking lead back potential this year, Damian Harris has looked excellent. As has Harris, has as has um, Mondre Stevenson, but the backfield has looked excellent. The O line responding. Duggar started really strong. Phillips looked good. Peppers looked really good in his snaps. Like we can talk about individuals and not say good for week two. They looked good and ahead of other players who are also playing week two, which is good, and is on the trajectory to continue to be good for an entire seventeen week season. So let's. You know, we don't need the caveat with every positive that we send while asking if it's the end of the era or if Max the guy or if Belichick should be fired when something goes wrong. Because if it looks bad, why doesn't it look bad for week one? Why doesn't it look bad for week one? Because that's not the caveat they want to use. They only want to use good for week two, not bad for week one. Yeah, so... uh We'll, we'll get we'll get to um, hopefully Dan will come back because uh, we wanted to do a, an idea that he had, but uh, we'll wait until he comes back next week. Um, but that gives us more time to talk about uh, this guy. So here we go. What's <laughs> new? So that was a clip from Vince Wilfork's final game, uh, what allegedly was his final game. Uh, he was walking off the field after the Patriots beat the Texans 34 to 16 in the divisional round of the playoffs. That was in, yeah, so that was in the divisional round of the playoffs in 2017. So, and by the way, the person, I'll retweet this in the, uh, entitled weekend and title town Twitter pages. He was, do you know the person he hugged first 
uh, Matt Patricia, you know, the guy that is a piece of shit and is mean and everybody hates him. So that, that so take that, all you fuckers. Anyway, um, Vince Wilfork, he is now in the Patriots Hall of Fame. He has been enshrined in there. And really, his next stop should be Canton. I mean, it's obviously, it's been a tough road to hold because for some reason, the voters of the Hall of Fame don't like the big uglies. They don't like the big heavies, the two gap run stuffers who, you know, are so, that are so important to what teams do defensively because we live in the era of fan and fantasy football and, you know, the guys who, you know, they want the Michael Strahan's, the guys who have the impressive sack totals that they're, that are the penetrators, the speeder guys who make the crowd cream their pants when they rush and sack the quarterback. But they don't realize guys like Casey Hampton and Vince Wilfork, they never get those sack numbers. They don't have that, you know, strong physique that makes those guys the subject of, of so much, so many highlights. Guys like Wilfork are built like a brick shit house. They're wide, low to the ground, they squat, they got legs like fire hydrants, built for, got, for taking on double teams in the interior of the trenches. Obviously, he never had more than three and a half sacks in any season, but he's worth way more than that. The, the defense of the Patriots relied on him to eat up space and double teams at the point of attack in the running game and set the table for linebackers to clean it up. You know, in earlier in his career, those linebackers were Ted Johnson, Teddy Bruschi, Mike Rabel, all of whom had great success. Later on, players like Gerard Mayo, Junior Seau, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, and the defense continued to use Wilfork as that immovable immovable object on the inside. So, and Richard Seymour is another player who comes to mind who is in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, what do you guys think? What, what what are your memories of Vince Wilfork? Your favorite plays, and what do you think about his his uh, journey to hopefully the Hall of Fame soon? I mean, I think it starts and ends for me with anticipation with him. It would be so easy as a defensive tackle to get drawn into one guy who's, it looks like you're finally getting single. You're, uh, it looks like you're finally getting a single man on you and you're going to throw him to the side because as Bill Belichick said today, Vince Wilfork was unblockable one-on-one. You're going to throw him to the side and go right at that quarterback. But Vince was smart. Vince would read screens better than most defensive ends read screens as a defensive tackle. That's why he got several interceptions on those screens. It would be so easy to get sucked into that because think about it, all game, you know, you're doing the, the, the heavy work. You're getting doubled for 58 out of 60 something snaps in a game. And you finally look like you're getting a one-on-one because the, the guard from the opposite side where the screen's coming from is pulling over to block you. And all of a sudden you're right in the quarterback's face, but the ball is gone. That happens to defensive tackles all the time. Vince Wilfork was a different breed because he wanted to be the smartest man on the field in addition to the best at the best at his position on the field. He wanted to maul the best person opposed from him and he wanted to outsmart them too. And he did for the vast majority of his career. He was very rarely outmatched. It was rarely a game where you went, Oh, Will Fork, we got run on up the middle. Will Fork had a rough game or, you know, Oh, that it was few and far between when Will Fork got bested by one or two men and didn't make an impact on a game. 
And so it's it's not an individual play. The easy ones, you know, there's the butt fumble. Well, years ago we talked to Tom Moore then at Indianapolis, the offensive coordinator. You got a busted play here, and then, oh, no. and then Sanchez gets hit. The ball is loose, and it's alive. There's the interception return that people would, you know, Photoshop the Oreo cookies into where the football is, you know, because it, you know the, the the fat man rumble is really funny to them, you know. But it, it's I loved. Vince for his intelligence on the field. And I think honestly, what I will remember more about Vince is personal stuff is, you know, seeing who he is as a human. Um, you know, I, I worked with autistic adults for a while and uh, there were several charitable events that Vince and um, Bianca Wolfork were at and they were just the most kind and generous people. And you know, really cared about the community around them. And it really makes me believe what Vince said today. And I know we're going to, you know, play that at the end, so I don't want to harp on it. But when we get there, when we get to the tag at the end, I believe it because Vince showed it. He showed it on the field. He showed it in interviews, but he showed it off the field. And the people that I personally really care about. And so I, I just, I have a lot of, admiration for Vince and for, you know, the person he has developed into and grown into despite immense personal struggle and tragedy. Yeah, I mean, you know, you nailed it completely with, uh, to me, Vince Wilfork, he's not just a a great all-time Patriot. To me, I thought, I still think Vince Wilfork was the best nose tackle of the last 20 years in the NFL. I mean, if he doesn't get into Canton on the first ballot, then they should just shut the place down. I mean, he was unbelievable. He anchored, you know, in my opinion, one of the best defenses in NFL history for a decade. When you factor in, you know, when when uh, Keith Trailer was on the nose at, in 04 and they moved Wilfork to end, you know, and then they had, you know, uh, that team was just ridiculous. They had Ty Warren coming in, you know, spelling them all, giving them all breaks. They had McGinnis. They had, you know, they had all those guys, Rodney Harrison back there, Tyler. I mean, that team, that 4 team, that 4 defense, um, which, and Vince was the anchor. He was the anchor. I mean, you couldn't run the ball up the middle, period. Just forget it. And when he rushed the passer, he was like a four-wheel drive. Just, you know, you could, like Belichick called him today, unblockable. You know, which is exactly what he was. My favorite—it's uh, not necessarily a play, but the uh, 2012, uh, the 2011 season, the 2012 AFC Championship game against Baltimore. He took that game over. He absolutely took that game over. He could not be stopped. He, I think he sacked Flacco three times. Um, he was just—he was all over the field. He looked like a linebacker. You know, he was just—I mean, without his performance, they don't win that game. They don't get to the Super Bowl, and they don't. You know, I mean. It's just, and I think Belichick really hit it, uh, really talked a lot about this in his speech today at his ceremony was the leadership, uh, you know, in captain's meetings and things like that. And, you know, he, he was saying, you know, Will Fork was the guy who would come up to him and basically criticize him, you know, Belichick and say, look, you're doing this. This isn't going to work. You know, you got to try this. You got to do whatever it happened to be. He didn't go into specifics, but, uh, you know, and Belichick's point was he was the guy that I listened to. You know, he kind of had that that sort of, you know, pulse of the team. And when he spoke, everybody listened, including me, you know, <laughs> and, and this is my show here, you know? So, I mean, Will Fork, to me, he needs to be in Canton. 
he was on, if you get a chance to listen to it, he was on the Pats from the Past podcast, this latest episode. I think it dropped yesterday, um, which I highly recommend listening to. It's a really great interview with him. If you can ignore Paul Perillo, um, who for whatever reason gets, you know, he's on there. Uh, but they, the one thing that jumped out to me, they asked Will Fork what his favorite Patriots team that he played on was. And, you know, I mean, he was on some great teams, 04, 07, like all these teams, oh, the 14 team that beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. Um, his favorite team was the 2011 team that lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. And tell me this is not the quintessential Patriot talking. When they asked him, what about that 2011 team is it that you liked? Uh, he talked about their mental toughness. And he said, and this is a quote from there. He said, you know, these guys, it was a younger group, Chung, Mayo, McCordy, all of them. They were young, but they had the right mindset and the right attitude. You can win with guys like that. You can, co you can win with guys you can coach and you can teach and that are willing to learn and willing to listen. I'm telling you, you can just win with that. That was the team that had Edelman playing corner. You know, that was a team that just refused to, to, to no matter what happened, they were just constant. And to me, that sounds a lot like this current iteration of the Patriots, where, you know, they're just a mentally tough team that blocks out the noise and just goes about it and gets better every week. And, and to, I just, I love the fact that he came, he didn't say 04, he didn't say one of the teams that won the Super Bowl, he said 2011, and his reasons were fantastic. So I highly recommend listening to that. Um, Will Fork's a legend. Yeah, I, I highly recommend listening to that podcast and also that speech to, uh, from today. Um, every Patriots fan should listen to it. It's it's it, it hits all the marks. So I, I recommend you do. And um, I, again, I hope Will Fork gets the recognition. Um, again, he's a he was a Patriot for the majority of his career. Um, so that probably won't happen. You know, if he played, I wonder if he played for the Texans for, for his entire career, maybe they'd be talking about him in a better way. Um, but it's not just his, his, uh, play at nose tackle. I mean, the dude was athletic and, you know, when he uh, would return an interception, he would, he would take it back and he was, he was really just talented and, I remember the year the Patriots drafted Vince Wilfork. There were a lot of people that were hoping that the Patriots would take Steven Jackson. And I mean, he turned out to be a great player, not for the Patriots when he came on, but he was a pretty great player. But then Wilfork dropped down the draft board. People started wondering whether or not there was some character issues. His nickname in college was Baby Sap, and everyone thought of him as a penetrator, not a run stuffer. He didn't establish himself as the next Ted Washington until very, until years later. Um, but he was everything anyone could have possibly imagined and a lot more. So he's uncomplaining. He's versatile, strong, a great teammate. And like you said, Bill, very philanthropic, did so much for the community. So, um, he deserves this. So congratulations, Vince. Um, before we go to final thoughts, we have an email from Vinny Jace, uh, the uh, residential emailer of the title, uh, podcast network. Um, and he has a question about the linebackers. He says, how have they played so far? A lot of hay was made about not bringing back Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy. Wondering if Uche, Bentley, and Wise have performed to your liking. And I would say, yeah, they, they've done pretty well, considering how speedy the linebackers have been and how speedy, how speedy the defense has been as a whole. It's a marked difference from 
last year, right? Yeah, it, it's I am you know Vinny always brings an interesting question. The linebackers are are playing well. I I think um, Wilson had a great anticipation play last Sunday. I think we could you know spend an entire pod breaking that play down because it's such a quintessential Patriots play with an athletic player um, doing the right thing at the right time. Um, you know, Bentley, I think is really sound in responsibilities, but I also think going back to the safeties, you have to start counting some of those safeties as linebackers. They are utilizing them in a very similar way. Um, specifically, I think Jabril Peppers is coming into that role, whether injuries facilitated that happening sooner or not. Um, between him and Duggar, you're going to see a lot of action from safeties in the linebacker spot. So, uh, you know, overall, I think that's why you're seeing less roster spots used on linebackers. But I think that the linebackers have uh, have acquainted themselves well to the beginning of the season um, and will continue to develop because they're, they're going to gel as a unit. Yeah, I have very little to add to that. Um, everything Bill said was exactly what I was thinking. Um, Mac Wilson has been, you know, really good, I think. But the, the thing that jumps off the screen to me um, in terms of the difference between the Hightower, Van Oy, sort of that iteration of the Patriots is the speed. I mean, just it's really that simple. They're just so much faster. They get to the ball so much quicker, and they're making plays. And, uh, it, it, again, my opinion, rose-colored glasses, you know, honk Bobo guy, um, I think Kyle Duggar is one of the top three safeties in the league. And I think he's probably one of the more underrated players in the league, which is good for us because his, his rookie contract is going to be expiring at some point. And if he continues to fly under the radar, we might be able to bring him back on the sly. But, um, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And, I mean, I was watching the Chargers game, was it last week? Whatever week they were on Thursday Night Football with the, against the Chiefs, and Van Oy could barely get on the field on that team. So, uh, And I like Van Oy a lot. I think he was great for us. I thought he filled a, a really good role, and, you know, I was sad to see him go. I mean, Hightower is still sitting at home. It's not like he's playing anywhere. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, you never know. It's the God forbid we get an injury, but if we do. Um, but, no, I think it's uh, it's all about speed. And I think that was clearly the focus on, during the offseason was this defense needs to get faster. And whether it's adding linebackers or, as Bill said, adding the safeties, adding peppers in there and just playing these guys near the line of scrimmage. I think that is uh, was clearly um, the mission. And so far, I mean, it's only been two games. We'll see tomorrow because they're going to get a big test tomorrow with <laughs> trying to run around with Lamar Jackson. But um, I think so far uh, early on, it looks like the mission was accomplished. Yeah, so um, I'm excited for tomorrow. I'm excited for the rest of the season to see how things play out. Um, let's go to final thoughts. Uh, Bill, how about you? Sure. So, I mean, I know we didn't hit on it too much, but, you know, I think a, a low-key thing for the game tomorrow is um, going to be our defensive line against a weekend offensive line for um, the Ravens. Uh, and I would also, you know, add a fully agree going to be a huge test for linebackers and safeties tomorrow against Lamar Jackson. That's going to be a really interesting game. And I do think it's a game that tells us a good amount about the team and we'll be able to see sort of strengths and weaknesses. The result might not tell us a lot, but some of the play will. Um, But in terms of final thought, um, I think, you know, as a, as a, as a former school counselor um, listening to Will Fork's speech today um, really hit an interesting note for me. Um, And so I feel I'd be really remiss if I didn't say like, don't always believe the people that are around you smiling, having a good time are happy. 
they're, you know, hearing Vince talk about the people in the locker room with their families and walking through that every week. Um, hearing how he almost quit on football after his parents passed um, and having a mentor come and bring him back to the game and change his life. Who knows where Vince Wilfork would be? Who knows what he would have done? Uh, you know, it's loss and sadness and depression are really tricky and difficult things to pin. And you could see how proud he was of persevering through that. It was oozing off of him coming through the speech. And so it's, it's just that reminder. And I don't think everybody will flag that. They'll think about how strong Vince is for persevering. And of course they should. That was his moment. But if you take something away from that beyond an incredible player having an incredible life and persevering through a lot of challenges, take away that the people check on the people around you. Think about who else might be in a similar situation to events. Be a mentor to somebody that could be events Wolf Fork. Be a mentor to somebody who might be going down a road that doesn't really feel right and talk to them. See if they are, are doing it for, you know, the reasons that they're telling you they're doing it for. Talk, have them talk to somebody. If you need to talk to somebody, find someone. But that Vince's speech was just such a strong reminder to talk to those around you and not always take everything at face value. Because Vince was one of the more jovial guys. He was a really strong leader, but he was funny. He was talkative. He always looked happy. Hearing that he played that long with what he described as a hole in his heart, a broken heart and how hard it was for him to navigate through um, dealing with the loss of his parents throughout his playing career for 15 years uh, is just such a powerful reminder of that. So check on everybody, check on yourself. Don't go through things alone. Be the mentor to people that need it. Well said, well said, Bill. Um, Rob, what do you think? What's your final thought? Yeah, very well said, Bill. Um, so I hesitate to go down this road, but listen, watching Will Fork today, um, nothing pisses me off more than the whole, you know, and I hear it a lot here because I live right outside of Philadelphia. So I hear a lot, I hear it a lot here where, you know, oh, I guess we all know now that the last 20 years were all Tom Brady. You know, it wasn't Belichick. It wasn't Kraft. It was, it was all Brady. And what pisses me off the most when I hear people say that and what makes me stop and start arguing with them when I really should just walk away because nothing's to be gained from that is not the fact that it dismisses what Belichick and Kraft have done and built here, but it's the fact that it marginalizes guys like Vince Wilfork and dismisses guys like Vince Wilfork and, you know, Teddy Bruschi, Ty Law, Richard Seymour, Mike Rabel, Rodney Harrison, the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And to pretend that it was all Brady and to just just make these flippant statements like that, for, for somebody like me or somebody like us who's watched this team and the, for Brady not to step out and throw cold water on that, you know, it, it just flies in the face of everything this franchise is about. It flies in the face of everything that Belichick built. And watch Will Fork up there with Troy Brown, you know, and Gerard Mayo and all these other guys who, you know, th there's not six trophies in there if Will Fork wasn't around, if Bruski wasn't around, if Ty Law wasn't around, if Seymour, if all these guys weren't around. It's, so whenever I hear that, it makes my blood boil more than anything else. And seeing Will Fork up there today just reinforced to me you know, how fortunate we are as fans 
to have this collection of players to watch and root for over the last 20 years, because, you know, by and large as a group, they're all, they all seem like really decent people too, not to mention unbelievable football players who put six trophies in there. So uh, that's my final thought. And I'm going to bypass my final thought because my final thought would be, will be the uh, Wolfwork final thought. So, until next week, uh, when we review the Ravens game and talk about the Packers, you can follow us at Entitled Weekend. You can email us at EntitledWeekend at gmail.com. You can follow Bill at Afib064. You can follow Rob at Hoodia Supremus. You can follow me at AtomicDog5150. And make sure you follow at Entitled Town, too, because... You know they got stuff going on next week also. So until next time, turn off your radio, slugs. I can't tell you how many times I left the practice field or left a game, um, tore up inside. I get a chance to walk back, walk past my teammates and have their families, you know, their mom, their dad, their brothers, their sisters, they wise, they have a good time, you know. And I'm hurt inside because I don't have my mother and father here to enjoy this life with me. And I felt that way for 13 years. I played 13 years in the league. So for 13 years, I had to battle that. For 13 years, I put a smile on when I was really hurting. But nobody would ever knew. They would never know. But I can sit here today and tell you, for 13 years, I played hurt with a heavy heart. I played, I, played, I played with a broken heart. I played with a heart in my hole for 13 years. And that's just in the NFL. So when you look at who the person I am, what I've accomplished, you guys are not fans to me. You are my family. <laughs> I'm a survivor. Man, I try to get through it without crying. <laughs> but I'm a survivor.